There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week I was joined by Greg Peterson. Greg is the founder of The Urban Farm, as well as a green living and sustainability innovator. We had a great conversation that went from the idea of permaculture, his thoughts on sustainability, to the health benefits of growing your own food, and how he feels that anybody can be successful growing food with the proper information. You can find out more about Greg, The Urban Farm, and what they're working on at urbanfarm.org. I also encourage you to check out their podcast, which you can find on the website, as well as downloading a free desert planting calendar and some other great information on the website as well. If you'd like more information about Greg and the Urban Farm, click contact us in the show notes. We'll get you the information. Thanks as always for listening. Remember to tell a friend. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining us in spirit today is Centauri Miner. Helping us move from awareness to action is Greg Peterson, the founder of the Urban Farm here in Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome, Greg. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. And we are recording at the Urban Farm, and it's an absolutely beautiful place. Thank you so much for having us. You bet. Yeah, we're out in the backyard, so you might hear chickens in the background. Right. If yes. they're squawking, they're laying eggs. <laughs> So, Greg, it's often said that we are what we eat, and from a little bit of research, I see that we eat over 1 billion pounds of beef a year from one fast food chain alone. Holy shimole, I didn't know that. Yeah, and that one fast food chain is this largest buyer of pork, beef, um, and, the second, and potatoes, and the second largest buyer of chicken in the United States of America. It must be Mc- it, it, it is, and I don't know if there's any reason for not saying them, but... Anyway, but we are working, you, sir, are working on changing that. Yeah. So how, how is the fight going? Tell me a little bit about it. <laughs> I don't see it as a fight. I see it as a, uh, a uh, wonderful journey of transforming our food system. In 1991, I did, actually a lot happened for me in 1991. Uh, I discovered something called permaculture. I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. So how do we work in the flow of nature? I discovered a book called Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. Ishmael is a gorilla and the teacher in this book. And in Ishmael, they talk a lot about how we came to be where we're at in the world today. Mm-hmm. And the third thing I did is I did a lot of work around an organization called Landmark Education. Okay. Uh, they do personal breakthrough courses, basically helping us break out of the drone that we're in mm-hmm. of every day. And in one of their courses called the advanced course, you had to create a mission, basically who you are in the world. Okay. And who I created myself to be in 1991 was the person on the planet responsible for transforming our food system. Slightly ambitious. <laughs> well, I figured what, you know, what the heck I, you know, I got one life I can live here that I know of and might as well dream big and, you know, go out and do big work in the world. And so, you know, will I get there before I die? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But it's an interesting, wonderful, spectacular vision that pulls me forward every day. And so you just got started. And I just got, exactly. Just got started. 
And it's been, what, 26, 27 years now? 26 and 27 years. 26 years, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Since that time, um, in 1975, I actually started my first business here in town. I also started my first garden. I was 15 years old. Okay. I used to clean service and build fish ponds here in town, and I was mostly interested in the aquaculture or the fish farming part of building fish ponds. And that same year, I wrote a paper on how we were overfishing the oceans. Mm-hmm. So even back in the mid-70s, at the, you know, in my mid-teenage years, I knew that there was something wrong with how we were living and eating on the planet and that I needed to do something about it. Right. You just knew. I think there's a buzzword, and it's probably been around for a while, but it seems to be popping up a little bit more lately, which is sustainability. There's a whole sustain- mm-hmm. school of s- sustainability, say that three times fast, yeah. at Arizona State here mm-hmm. in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. When, when you hear that term, what... What are your feelings on it? What are your thoughts on it? Can I be honest with you? Please. I cringe. Okay. I do not like the word sustainability. And for those of you out there listening, this isn't a bad thing. Right. So sustainability is a good first step. Sustainability, however, just sustains the mess that we've created on the planet. Mm. We need something bigger than sustainability. And I see sustainability as a step in the right direction, absolutely. And, you know, the School of Sustainability, I taught there for five years. After I got my master's uh, at ASU in 2006, I taught on campus for five years in the School of Sustainability. So I think it's an absolutely wonderful place to start. It's a good next step. But there's something beyond that. And for me, what provides... A vision into that is this notion of permaculture. How do we work with nature? Human beings have created one kind of system on the planet. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end on everything that we've developed on this planet. The roads, the buildings, the technologies, everything gets trashed in the end. Right. There's an end point for everything. This in permaculture is what we call a degenerative asset. And I cannot find any regenerative, new word, assets that human beings have created. But when we look at nature and natural systems, every single natural system is regenerative. Basically, it self-creates or it recreates itself going into the future. Like a lot of the stuff you see growing here on this back patio that we're sitting on, replants itself every year. I don't have to plant it. And so what we do in permaculture is we look at how do we put regenerative models in place. Because if we don't, we're going to have some problems coming into the future. And here's the question. I had a group of students here earlier today. And the question I asked them is, if nature created degenerative assets, systems that degenerated over time, what would happen? And I'll ask you that. What happens? The earth would cease to exist. Nature would go away. Right. So it kind of presents us with an interesting challenge moving forward because every, as far, and I've been looking at this for over 40 years, every single human system that we have put in place is degenerative. All of them. (laughs) All of them. So 
Our challenge moving forward is how do we plug into nature and create regenerative systems? It's absolutely possible, and it's the reason I do the work that I do is because I believe that we can, over the next course of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we can create regenerative, or let me, let me even say more regenerative systems, not degenerative systems. So, it, But it's just how we look at things. We just have to look at things differently. How is it possible that we, we should have accidentally stumbled onto something that was regenerative? Regenerative? No? Just everything we've done is is degenerative. Yeah, well, when you look at That's it, I mean, these chairs we're sitting in, they're eventually going to get break down and get thrown away, right? Mm-hmm. Right? The pot's around us. Mm-hmm. The car you came here in today mm-hmm. eventually gets trashed. Yes. Right? Is and Like I said, I've spent a lot of the past 40 years thinking about this. What human system that we put in place doesn't degenerate and go away? Buildings, roadways, bridges. Styrofoam containers. Styrofoam containers. Healthcare systems. Those stay there forever. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Actually, that's... uh, (laughs) But they don't. They just stay there. So interesting you should say that because that is a... what, What I would put in the... If it doesn't ever go away, then that's maybe more generative. In anyways, that's a bigger conversation. Yeah, I don't want to get in the weeds. Yeah. Well, if you spent forty years looking for uh, or ex- exploring it, and you've not been able to find one, I doubt that I'll be able to think of one here <laughs> in the next couple of minutes. There you go. Permaculture is that? Am I just have I just not heard of that? Is that? It's a word derived from two words. It was created by uh, Bill Mollison and. I think Dave Holm, David Holmgren okay. in the early 70s. And they looked at our culture. And so permanent agriculture or permanent culture, and they put them the two of them together and came up with permaculture. Okay. And like I said before, it's the art and science of working, you know, how do we work in the flow of nature? Mm-hmm. But what we do in permaculture is we look at systems from a regenerative perspective. So here's a perfect example of this going on right now today at the urban farm. Food scraps. You know, we've got food growing in the yard, so we harvest and eat out of the food just about uh, out of the yard just about every day here at the urban farm. So we have food scraps. None of the food scraps leave the property. In fact, I have a bucket on the side of the house where I have a couple of people that bring food scraps to me so that we can get them into the system here. Okay. And those food scraps go one of ultimately four places. They go into our worm bins. That's what those are right over there. Okay. And the worm bins eat the food scraps and poop and make worm castings or worm poop that then goes into our gardens. Worm worm castings are what they call gardener's gold. It's, you know, they're magical about making your garden grow. Food scraps go in our soldier fly bins. Soldier fly bins make grubs that the chickens absolutely love. Any kitchen scraps that we have left over go to the chickens. They make chicken poop, which I rake up periodically, put them in the composting bin. Compost bin does what it does, breaks down, makes compost, and that goes into our gardens, which grows us more food. And then the food... The food comes into the house, we eat what we eat, 
food scraps start the system again. Is it completely regenerative? No, but it's thinking in that direction of how do we complete the circle? Got it. I like it. If I can throw another term at you to get your reaction, <laughs> organic. Hmm. <laughs> so organic is a great thing to strive for. Absolutely. I have used no chemicals with the exception of one or two in the past 28 years here on the urban farm, both inside or out. So I can safely say that, you know, this is an organic space for 28 years. Mm -hmm. The problem that we run up against in that, from that perspective is that we live in a world that is pretty well polluted. I don't personally believe that we can go anywhere on the planet and be away from chemical pollutants. So when people ask me, well, you know, cities are polluted. How can we grow food in the cities? It's like cities are polluted, yes, but so are countries, you know, right. outside in the country where they have farms. So we just have to do the best that we can do with what we've got. So definitely grow food organically. We buy nothing but organic food at the grocery store. And, you know, when you look at the organic label on a product, it's kind of a slippery slope. Right. And that is a, that's a conversation in itself. We could talk for hours upon that. So I generally trust the organic labels and go with that because it's the best we can do. That's a good point. Unless you're growing it yourself. Right, unless you really know. You know, and then if you're growing it yourself... You know what's going into it. And right. that's, that's one of the reasons I really encourage people to grow their own food. If you're growing your own food, you know what's in it. Yeah, right. Exactly. So you clearly do not believe, and I'll take a step back. It seems like the idea of growing our own food, having chickens in, in our yards here, here in Phoenix specifically, is gaining in popularity. Absolutely, it seems like it's gaining in popularity. Yeah, you know, organic and all natural is extremely popular. Um, do you think that that's is that going to continue on? I was almost said, is that sustainable? Do you think it's a fad? Do you think that people are going to continue to embrace this moving forward? I do think it's sustainable, <laughs> and I do use that word <laughs> just with the caveat that we need to. It's a good stopgap measure between where we were and where we're going, where we need to go, which is this regenerative model. Mm -hmm. Here's what I know. When shit hits the fan, and I'm not talking in the future, I'm talking, it was August 8th, 2011. I think it was a Monday. I was speaking at Changing Hands Bookstore. That was Black Monday for 2011 on the stock market. On a really good day, I'll get 30 or 40 people at my lectures. We lost track at 267 people. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So when I say shit hits the fan, I mean, in that case, you know, the stock market goes down. Right. People start feeling it and they, you know, 
<laughs> they're going to pre- they start preparing for the zombie apocalypse and say, I better know how to plant food. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to go quite that far. I'll let sure. you go that far. Yeah. But, you know, people are concerned, you know, in our culture right now, people are concerned that something might happen, you know, especially in this interesting political environment that, you know, we, food could stop coming into our areas, you know, our cities. Yeah. We have a, we do have a problem with our food system, and that's one of the things that I've studied the most along the way, and that is that we have a three-day food su- supply of food in any major metropolitan area at any given moment. That's interesting, for sure. Three-day supply of food. Three-day three supply of food, and it's, it's, that's a, it's a really good thing because we want fresh food, right? Yeah, you bet. And and that is one of the good things about the food system and the way that it is set up in our country. It gets us fresh food on the shelves day by day by day. So that is a good thing. Or if food were to stop coming into Phoenix, and I'm not talking, again, I'm not talking end of the world stuff. I'm talking a trucker strike. A couple of years ago, there was a trucker strike in Europe. A storm. A road goes out. Yep. You know, there's things that can happen. Not outlandish. There have been gasoline shortages. or Right. I, again, I'm not talking the end of the world stuff nope. here. I'm talking about stuff that happens virtually every day somewhere around the world. Mm-hmm. And people, especially this group that are, you know, that kind of, that are called preppers, you know, they're more interested in being prepared. So there's two people that are really interested in this food movement deeply. And I call them... Uh, basically the soccer moms and dads that have kids and they want to make sure that they're getting their kids good food and the preppers, people that want to make sure that there's a food supply there for them. And these aren't people that, these are people that would be on my street today or tomorrow. They're people that live in our neighborhoods that are just, you know, want to make sure that they have healthy food for their kids and that there's a a supply of food growing somewhere for them. And what percentage of food is actually grown in cities? Less than, is it 10, 15%? Who oh, knows? I don't even know that it's that high. I saw a number a while back of, you know, 50 or 60%. This was when I was in graduate school 10, 12 years ago. 50 or 60% was grown in Hong Kong. <laughs> okay. But it's shifting. You know, we're definitely seeing a shift uh, to urban agriculture. You know, we've got uh, Bob McClendon on the west side. We've got Jana Anderson uh, out in Levine, uh, we've got Kelly Saxer who runs Desert Roots Farm out in Queen Creek. We've got, you know, we've got farmers that are here that are growing food, and then we've got the small farmers that are starting, that are jumping in, that are growing food on a plot this size or even smaller. Yeah. You know, Scottsdale Community Gardens is a great place to exercise your farmer muscle. To kind of jump in, both Kelly Saxer and Jana Anderson started with plots in you know ninety nine two thousand two thousand one at Scottsdale Community Garden, and now they both have sizable farms. Nice. Very so it's cool. you know it's a process of jumping in and checking it out. Right. You know, I, while I was at ASU, so I went back to ASU. I, I uh, my adventure at ASU started in nineteen eighty one. I was there for one semester. I got a point five grade average. Two D's and an F. Absolutely hated it. And my dad got the message, oh, he didn't want to be in school. Because I was self-employed at the time. Right? 
I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to be in school. So fast forward to 1999, I'm back at ASU, and um, you know, spending time learning. Because I, and the curious thing, when I ended up back at ASU in 1999, I transferred in 77 credit hours. Okay. Because I never stopped learning. Just because I didn't wasn't in school full time didn't mean that anytime I wanted to learn something, I went to Phoenix College and took a class on wastewater management or how to run a small business or writing or, you know, so on and so on. So I, you know, I spent a fair amount of time learning and I still do. I think that's a really important piece of what we're up to. Yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Are and there? I, and I know that there was something else that there was in there that I was supposed to answer where I was going with all that, but <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that we will. Um, you talked about how it's some of the folks that are really interested in this movement are soccer moms, soccer dads, because mm-hmm. they want to give their kids healthy food. Um, my wife and I have, I have a six-month-old, and we are very, very, very cognizant of mm-hmm. how we're going to just, – just just the food that, 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 that he's going to be eating. Yep. Um, because we both sort of feel like um, any health affliction that we've had in the past could be due to the food that we've eaten over the past 30-some years. So. Interesting you should say that. So I say there are three things on our planet that cause 100% of the disease. Okay. And you have control of all three of them in gardening. Lack of nutrition in our food. Mm-hmm. Environmental toxins. Okay. And stress. And, I, you know, I've talked to multiple medical doctors about that and nutritionists, and they pretty much are in agreement that lack of nutrition in our food, environmental toxins, and stress are, you know, are where it's at. Those probably have it all covered. Yeah. So growing your own food, you can address all that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, 28 years organic here at the urban farm, I know that soil over there is good, healthy soil. Right. And I know that I haven't put any chemicals on it, chemical right. fertilizers or chemical pesticides or anything like that. And I know that by building healthy soil, that the plants are healthier and more nutrient dense. Right. So that's, you know, that's really a case for growing our own food. Here's the, here's the thing you may not know. There's something out there called food miles. Food miles is how far food travels from where it's grown to your plate. Okay. 1,500 miles is the standard in the U.S. Really? Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Seems like a long way. It does. (laughs) It does. And when they pick something, say they're, you know, they're picking a peach because I recently saw peaches in the grocery store. Actually, better yet, citrus because I was buying about three months ago, I was buying citrus for a news spot that I had to do. Peru, New Zealand, Mm. and Mexico is where these came from. The problem we run into is they have to pick it not ripe. Yeah. And once they pick it, it nutritionally starts degrading. Mm. But when you're picking it not ripe, the nutrients aren't as dense. Yeah. Makes sense. So you pick it less nutrient dense, it travels, it loses some of its nutrient density, and so by the time it hits your plate... You've lost the, a lot of the nutrient density that you need. So again, by buying your, by growing your own food, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. I don't remember the context of the conversation, but 
I read or heard that 80% of the food in a grocery store doesn't actually qualify as food, food. because the technical definition of it needs to give your body nutrition. Yeah. They're called, interestingly enough, I've had two nutritionists on my uh, podcast in the past month. Food stuffs. Food stuff. S T U F S. Food stuffs. And when you look it up online, it's it says something about. I, I actually looked it up during one of my podcasts when I had the woman, you know, when I was recording it, and it was something like a substance resembling food. <laughs> that that seems like a pretty solid definition for food stuffs. Yeah. Nice. And the stress part, I can see where keeping a garden and growing your own food could be meditative and stress-reducing. Yep. Or I could see it being sort of stressful if I didn't know what I was doing. But oh, probably, well. probably goes both ways. I got a solution for you. <laughs> Urbanfarm.org. We, uh, you know, that's, that's what I've transitioned to. I mentioned earlier, on a really good day, I might get 30 people in front of me. Right. On a really good day online, I get 500 people nice. in front of me. Like last night we did a class. I did a class with Jake Mace last night online and we there was about 80 people online on the call. So we were getting questions and interactions and you know and and I do this often. So it's really you know it's a way for me to take my mission forward of transforming our food system on the planet. Mhm. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll certainly talk more about how people can actually get involved and, and learn cool. more about the work that you're doing here and what steps you need to take to start growing your own food, even if you are, if you've never done anything like that before in your life. Yeah. Even if you do not have a green thumb or my wife says you have a black thumb. Well, here's a, and here's a cool thing. It's really simple to grow your own food. It really is simple to grow your own food. You just have to know the rules. Right. You know, most people that say they have a black, brown thumb or a black thumb, it's just they haven't spent the time and energy to figure out what it takes to nurture a plant. Right. It's simple. Makes sense. I, I, I personally believe that there's, that there could be really, really extraordinary community benefits to having people grow their own food. Like you talked about those community gardens. Um, I read about a, a city in England or a town in England and now I'm not going to be able to find it on my, P Todd Morden, Todd Morden. Mm. Anyway, very interesting um, how everywhere, they pretty much replaced any kind of grass or shrubbery non with edibles with edibles with with edibles. Yeah, and they just. I've just, been I've been to Italy and Croatia in the past ten years, on two different trips, and the striking thing for me is that every yard had food in them, and not just a little bit, but a lot of food. So, and if you if you drive up and down my street, I've really worked on my neighbors. There's a few of them that are growing food, but most streets in this valley. They have plants growing in their yard that they have to spend money and time and energy and water on to nurture them, and they don't give you anything. Hmm. Yeah. I'm a big, big, big proponent of not planting anything in my landscape unless it's food or it supports food. Got it. I think that uh, that certainly makes all sense in the world, and I, I do believe that the more connected that we can feel to our neighbors in our community, then, then the happier that we're going to certainly be. Well, and hey, when you have a party, where do people end up at? The kitchen. <laughs> when I have parties here, people end up in the yard. I, I, I believe it. You know, eating food. Yeah, I definitely believe it. We have such a, as, as, as people, such a, a, a strong connection to food. 
for the obvious reasons. But like, like you're talking about, we do end up in the kitchen or around the food. And yeah. We break bread together and that helps connect families and friends and, 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 and everything else. So, There's a hummingbird flying just right behind you. Is it going to attack me? No. <laughs> nice. So the health benefits, there's a lot of community benefits to it. I was having a conversation with somebody. We are talking about how it's tough for the federal government to enact real change, but easy for cities to do that. So if you had the mayor of the city or folks who really wanted to make differences, that's where they could really model growing your own food, urban farming. What do you think about that? Is that a possibility here in Phoenix? What would it take to do that? To what? Get the government involved? No. To really start a movement as as a community. We have a movement. Okay. There are thousands of urban farms here in Phoenix. We do tours periodically. Um, this week, this weekend, we're at Jake Mace's Longevity Garden. We do tours of this place. I would guess if we figured out a way to do a survey, that there are several thousand named urban farms here in town. Nice. And it was done with no interference from the government. <laughs> so, you, I, 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 so you disagree with my premise that the government can be off. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. No, no, no. I, here's the thing. I see that there's two ways to create change in the world. Top down, bottom up. Yeah. Government is top down. It takes a very long time. Who knows what the motivation is? Right. Mostly they get in the way. Yeah. You can keep that. No, for sure. Um, and so what I do, I'm grassroots, bottom up. I just connect with people in my front yard. I had 10 students here in my front yard this morning. And we wandered around the yard and we talked about what was going on and what I did with them this morning and what I do with my tours is I plant seeds of possibility with people. That's how I create change. I don't, I don't suspect we need a government, but I don't suspect that there's a whole lot of way that they can move this forward. Right. This has got to be a grassroots movement. And it sounds like that that's exactly what's taking place, yep. which is really, really exciting. I read an interview um, that, that you had done, and you talked about how one of the reasons that I clearly the reason you're doing this is because it is your passion and your life's work. Mm -hmm. You had uh, you've been an entrepreneur since you were 15 years old. You've had, for lack of a better term, regular jobs, but you you, you reached a point where you couldn't do that anymore because you felt like buying stuff wasn't providing your life peace and harmony. Yeah. And I, I, I want to call that embracing minimalism. Could. Is that, is that yeah. fair? Is that something you study? Is that something that... You know, I've never been into stuff. You know, I have stuff, but I've never been really into stuff. It doesn't make me happy. And the, the, the transition that you spoke of a moment ago, I started a software company in 1987. And I ran it I ran it until 2002, and then I was involved with it until 2009. And in the late 90s, I started looking at it and discovered for myself that the product that it made no longer supported who I was in the world. It created a, it created a product that helped the people market stuff. 
And that wasn't who, that's not who I am. So that was that shift for me uh, to go from, that was that shift for me that j just really changed my perspective on it. Uh, you know, I've been in my house here at the Urban Farm for 28 years. It's over half my life I've mm -hmm. lived in this space. Uh, it's a great house. You know, the, the truck that I drive is a 1985 Toyota pickup truck. My brother bought it new in 85. I bought it from him in 2001. Nice. And 18 months ago, I went looking for a new truck. And they are stupid, crazy expensive. They are. So I spent nine grand, and I put new air conditioning, a new clutch, a new paint job, new upholstery in my old truck. Nice. I love my old truck. And it's a Toyota. It's got 230,000 miles on it. It'll probably go another 230 if I let it. So I, you know, I, minimalism, I mean, it, does this look minimalist? It looks like a beautiful, uh, a beautiful urban farm to me. Right. And you walk through the house and it didn't look minimalist. So if you, you know, if anybody's out there listening and they're seeing minimalist as doing without, it's absolutely not the case. You know, one of the things that I discovered er early on being self-employed since I was 15 was that I always didn't always have a lot of money around. So I had to learn to live lightly. So I spent a lot of thought process on how do I live lightly? You know, my truck's paid off. Heidi's car is paid off. This house is almost paid off. You know, the, we have nice things and I'll spend, you know, I'll spend a lot of money on something if it, if it's something that, gonna last for a long time yeah i spent nine grand on my truck sure it's gonna be around another 10 or 20 years you bet right mm -hmm. so i'm willing to do that i do it wisely you know I, I spend my money wisely and you know i live a deeply gratifying life because of it i think and i i i think that that's i think that's awesome and when i talk about minimalism i certainly i for me, it's just getting rid of things that distract you from the most important things in your life. Amen to so that. minimalism for one person means something different than it does yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I certainly embrace it because... I just wanted to clarify that it didn't doesn't mean going without. Yep. It's not taking a vow of poverty by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Or going without. Um, exactly. I, yep. It's just freeing yourself up to focus on what's important because, I mean, we only have so much bandwidth and I can only focus right. on so many things. So. Well, and here's the cool piece for me. In those years where I wasn't making so much money doing this and I'd have to go out and, you know, get a part-time job doing something, which yep. I did along the way, my expenses were very low. Mm -hmm. I tell people what I live on here at the Urban Farm and they're flabbergasted at how lightly I live. That also means I don't have to make a lot of money. Right. I have a buddy of mine who his expenses are twelve grand a month. Mm -hmm. Longtime friend of mine. He lives a you know a nice life. I'll tell you what. In two months of his living, I can live in at least a year. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> the things that own us, or that we own, end up owning us at some yeah. level. So yeah. somebody really smart said that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I want. I, I'm curious. I saw this movie called Cowspiracy couple years ago mm -hmm. i don't know if you've seen that one i haven't seen it i, I guess i kind of know the premise right and i think that some of the elements to it uh i don't want to say it's been debunked but and who knows but i really concerning the movie scared the heck out of me mm -hmm. and it's all about animal agriculture mm -hmm. and all the resources that it takes what what are your thoughts on on everything that i read 
and every let's just stick with that everything that I read and the research that I do I am finding that animal products especially processed animal products are negatively impacting our health mm -hmm. I have I have Lyme disease and it's not fun and so six months ago after a conversation with a medical doctor about why should I be basically vegan or live a plant-based life mm -hmm. you know only eat plant-based stuff I decided to give it a try and interestingly enough on my podcast I'm getting a lot of uh, plant-based proponents coming on my podcast and they're pointing me to research um, about animal products and animal products have a lot of stuff in them you know if you when you stop to think about it the cows and the chickens that and the fish that we eat has a lot of chemicals that we put in it right you know hormones and antibiotics and so on and so on and the more I read and the more I see the more I'm seeing that that animal byproducts is a big part of what's negatively affecting our health mm -hmm. uh, so I'm a big proponent of a plant-based diet uh, for health reasons and that's where it started at with me for health reasons and then when you look at animal agriculture and the amount of resources that it takes it's that's really alarming and then when you look at animal agriculture and how these animals are treated for me that's really alarming so for those reasons I've pretty much gone to a plant-based diet um, when I say pretty much I don't eat any meat and I, ha I actually haven't eaten beef in 25 years oh wow um, I used to eat at Wendy's, honest to God, up to eight times a week. Nice. And when you figure out how many days there are in a week, that means I was eating there sometimes more than once a day. Yeah, that, that, Matt's correct. And back then, so that was in the, in the 80s, 70s and late 70s and early 80s. And uh, in 1991, a friend of mine shared a study with me that found that a majority of the meat from my single hamburger that I was eating at Wendy's was coming was coming into this country from South America where they were tearing down rainforests. Right. I stopped eating red meat for political reasons. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that I didn't tell you was that throughout grade school and high school, they had me in the hospital several different times looking for what was wrong with me because I had all these gastrointestinal problems. Okay. Do you know that within a week they basically disappeared. And what I found for me, and I, I'm, you know, I'm a big proponent of a plant-based diet, but you have to figure out what works for you. Right. And what I found for me is that when I go eat beef, because I actually love beef, I really do. It's very good. It is, but I'll eat two or three bites of beef and it upsets my stomach, yeah. even now, 25 years later. So really, you know, you need to discover work, what works for you and from a health perspective and from a, uh, you know, a environmental perspective and from a how the animals are treated perspective, I choose a plant-based diet. And here's the curious thing for me in seven months of doing this, I'm never hungry. Hmm. Do I look famished? No, you look like a healthy guy. Yeah. Um, in fact, the interesting thing was I, I, uh, my goal weight for the past 20 years has been 179 pounds. Okay. And I was bumping up against 200. And since I 
since I started a plant-based diet, I actually hit 179 a couple weeks ago. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. It's, you know, it's kind of floating 179, 188, 181, but that's a healthy weight for me. Yeah. So that, it's just working for me. A plant-based diet is working for me, and I do eat a little bit of cheese. I love cheese. Cheese is also very good. Yeah. <laughs> 179, that's a... <clears throat> Not 180, 175, just 179. You? I'm just curious where that number came from. Oh, one se- oh. <laughs> Good question. I, I think that it came from that's where I feel the best at. Okay. You know, I, I, that was, uh, you know, my weight through the 90s, and it's like, okay, I look great at 179, so let's go there. Good. <laughs> Fair enough. I, yeah. If... You're sitting there listening, and you've never looked at the impact of animal agriculture, or if you've never heard that term, because I don't know that I ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, that firm or that that film really asserts that that is one of the really, really biggest causes of of global warming is animal yeah. agriculture. And yeah. well, well, let's call it climate climate change. Cli- clim- climate change. Yeah. Yes. There's another movie. You know, I given that I have my podcast and it's pretty successful. Um, I, I get emails and there's a new movie out just in the past couple of weeks, I think called what the health. Mm. So that's another one. Okay. Um, so there's, there's a lot of these kind of documentaries coming out that, you know, just go check them out, uh, watch them with an open mind right. and then choose for yourself. Yeah. Because here's the thing, Heidi, my sweetheart, um, she has to eat some meat. She doesn't do well if she's not eating some, <clears throat> some a little bit of meat. So you have to do what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. All right. So tell me, I am, uh, we can just use me in as an example. Uh-huh. I'm, uh, I'm 38 years old, married, got a six month old. I work, I'm, I'm a busy person, uh-huh. but we, I, my wife and I want to start growing our own food. Uh-huh. How do I get started? All right. So there's several things that are simple ways in a box garden in your backyard. Okay. Call it probably cost you a couple hundred bucks to set it up. Okay. All of these ways are going to there's going to be some cost getting it set up, but you have to remember that once you start growing your own food, it pays you back. Right. So, you know, for a couple hundred bucks, you can put a nice box garden in your backyard. Do not put it on Bermuda or do not put it on Bermuda grass lawn because the Bermuda grass lawn will take it over. So you need to find a place that where there's no Bermuda. Okay. Uh, so that's one way of doing it. There's another product called a tower garden. Okay. And you can find out more about them from towergarden at urbanfarm.org. Okay. Basically, it's a hydroponic growing system. So I bought mine four years ago when I first saw them. I think they're the coolest product that you can buy for growing food. Basically, it's uh, two foot in diameter at the bottom and uh, eight inches diameter at the top. And it's like a Christmas tree for growing food. There's 20 gallons of water at the bottom, and it pumps it to the top, and it trickles down through the through the tower garden, and puts new. There's nutrients in that water, and it nutrifies the plants so that they can grow. And then you basically just harvest food right off the tower garden. Nice. That's another way. They're a little bit more pricey. It'll cost you 600 bucks or so to get into one of those. Is that an inside or an outside deal? You can do it inside or outside. Okay. Uh, they have they have them with lighting if you wanna you know if you wanna go that route. Okay. So uh, there, there's those ways. I highly, highly, highly suggest that you take a class. Okay. You know, we do all kinds of 
uh, classes. We had a class last night, a, a chat with Jake and Greg. Jake uh, Mace is a friend of mine, and we get on the phone once a month, and we talk gardening. Okay. It was free. Nice. Free webinar. Uh, you know, you can find me around town giving classes. We have some courses that we give online. The cool thing is they're seven-week courses, generally, and they're like 47 57 bucks. And you just, you know, jump in and take the course. Nice. You know, pay for pay for some education for yourself. I told you I did these little mini books here. Yeah. You know, I paid three hundred and fifty dollars to be in that mini book class, and out of it, a year later, I had mini books. I paid twelve hundred and ninety nine dollars to be in Podcasters Paradise to learn how to do my my own podcast. It has paid itself back in spades. Mm -hmm. It saved me both of those things, and the same with our classes and courses. They whatever money you spend on them, it's going to save you from making costly mistakes in gardening. Because growing food in the desert is actually really simple. You just need to know the rules. Right. And if you know the rules, you can grow great food. So you wouldn't say, and we talked a little bit about this already, but nobody is necessarily inherently a really good farmer or gardener no. or really bad. It's just a right. matter of are you prepared? Have you done taken the necessary steps to be successful or not? Yeah. Which certainly makes sense. Exactly. To me. You know, and there's simple things to do, like make sure don't plant in dirt. You know, there's five components to healthy soil. Dirt is one of them. Dirt's that hard, compact stuff you have in your front and backyard. Right. Don't try and grow anything in it. No, that's not gonna work. Right. So you have to build <laughs> healthy soil. You know, that's that's the biggest thing is build healthy soil. It's gonna give you healthy plants. They're gonna be less susceptible to bugs and you know, like that. These are the kinds of things you learn in my classes. Right. Okay. And tell me where where folks can go, and we'll put all this information in the the show notes as well. But your website is urbanfarm.org. Urbanfarm.org. Here for for new gardeners and not so new gardeners, I really want you to go to plantingcalendar.org. Okay. And download the free planting calendar. It's okay. A planting calendar I've been giving away. It's for the low desert. I've been giving it away for over a decade, and it'll tell you what to plant when. That's another thing. You, you know, if you want to plant broccoli, it's, uh, what, April now? If you try and plant broccoli now, forget it. It's not going to work out very it's well. It's not going to work out. And there are nurseries that will sell it to you now, which makes me crazy. Jerks. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's the profit profit model where there's... No time. need to name call. My, my, I certainly apologize to those, to those folks. Okay. So go to that. Um, that's certainly a very valuable thing. You can get online for free. Um, and tell us about your podcast. Podcast is the Urban Farm Podcast. We're over 200 episodes at this point. That's awesome. Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturdays is when it comes out. And I interview very interesting people from all over the world uh, on topics of food and health and nutrition and <clears throat> yeah, like that. Nice. Urbanfarmpodcast.org. So you can find all that information at the website. Yep. Awesome. Well, as our time is drawing to a close, what else would you like to get off your chest? If anything. If anything. You know what? <clears throat> the big thing is just go out and learn how to grow your own food. I personally believe that the single biggest thing we need to learn right now is how to grow food and how to prepare food and how to preserve food. Mm -hmm. And it's really simple. Just go do it, to be cliche. Yeah. Just do it. That's maybe the best advice that's ever been given, though, man. <laughs> you want to do anything. Right? Yeah. It's Here's the thing. Be... Things happen in the world because somebody says so. Right. 
You know, I have a podcast with over a, almost a half a million listens in a year and a half because I said, I'm going to do a podcast. You know, Steve Jobs did, you know, we're sitting here looking at a, a Macintosh computer and an Apple iPhone. And, you know, I, my first business, my second business here in town was all about computers. And I bought a Macintosh computer and it was like, all right, I'm going to figure out how to make money doing this. So I followed Steve Jobs and Apple all along the way. You know, visionaries. It's just like, you know what? This is going to happen. So to get things done in the world, you got to go do them. Agreed. Well, it's decided. I'm going to, uh, my wife and I are going to start growing food in nice. our backyard. Maybe even go get the equipment this weekend. In fact, that's what we will do is we will go <laughs> pick up the equipment. That is my commitment. And I definitely encourage everybody else to do that also. Yeah. Uh, Oh, Greg, thank you so much. Absolutely. Definitely encourage everybody who's listening, check this out. Check out his podcast. Go to the website. Educate yourself. Get get started on this. Um, it is a movement. Be part of it because I think it's extremely important. So oh, if you like what you've heard, please like the show, subscribe to the show, tell a friend. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.